Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our World Risk Register Threat Monitoring Service. These podcasts are released on a weekly basis, covering timely and relevant topics. In these discussions, we hope to shed light on evolving scenarios and provide actionable predictions and implications. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Hello and welcome to the newest installment of the Sublime Insight series. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the upcoming Israeli elections. Here with me, I have Phil Riding, our lead analyst for the MENA region. Thanks for joining, Phil. Thank you. So what can you tell us about the context of the election? Is this a contest dominated by any specific issues? What's going on here? Yeah, I think uh, the best way to, to summarize uh, the Israeli election on April the 9th is that this is uh, a, referend- a referendum on Benjamin Netanyahu as both a personality and uh, a leader of Israel. So Netanyahu is currently seeking his fifth term in office, uh, and he's a divisive character for a number of reasons, both inside Israel and beyond. Uh, he's you know, courted uh, extremist far-right parties in Israel, such as Jewish Power, which he's persuaded to uh, join a formal coalition with another of his current uh, coalition partners. He let last year passed a controversial nation-state law, which effectively you know, some human rights groups have said has made uh, Arab Israelis second-class citizens and so on. And so his dominance of Israeli politics over the course of really the last 10 years has left him in a position where he's effectively conducting this campaign uh, as an individual rather than as a leader of a, a coherent political party in, in Likud. So the, one of the main issues facing Netanyahu uh, are the corruption charges that have been levelled against him uh, and for, on which he will be formally indicted at some point in the coming year uh, and clearly that raises the possibility if he's successful at this uh, the election on April the 9th that he will be in office when he is indicted uh, which would be uh, unprecedented in uh, Israeli political history so clearly there are a number of challenges uh, facing Netanyahu that are a consequence of his own uh, behaviour but these are uh, in the forthcoming campaign manifested in the, the personality of uh, Benny Gantz who is his only real challenger uh, and uh, Benny Gantz is um, a former IDF general and he's uh, leading uh, a coalition of uh, sort of centrist and centre-left parties um, which has been branded the uh, blue and white uh, coalition and so you know Benny Gantz isn't really promising any substantive changes on key issues like Palestine or Iran or regional diplomacy he's, he's really just um, conducting his campaign on not being Benjamin Netanyahu. So with that in mind, can we expect any really big changes on those key issues you mentioned, specifically Palestine and regional diplomacy, or is Benny Gantz just kind of an unknown figure at this point? I define uh, Benny Gantz as someone who's, you know, traded on a degree of like studied ambiguity over some of those uh, some of those big issues like we mentioned. So, you know, the Blue and White Party did declare their policy platform uh, about a month ago. Um, and it used phrases, for example, like, you know, pursuing uh, deeper separation with the Palestinian people. But, I mean, that doesn't really uh, say whether or not they will commit to, you know, curtailing settlements in the West Bank or withdrawing um, some military presence from the West Bank, for example, which would be more substantive. It's, it's you know, that's kind of emblem- that statement is rather emblematic of um, the language that was used throughout. I mean, really the only um, policy area that... Sh- I think we'll come on to later where Gantz was able to sort of demonstrate that he is diverging from some of the policies of his predecessor or potential predecessor would be uh, on certain socially liberal uh, concerns. But but really, as I say, in, in big policy areas like exploration of uh, natural gas off the Israeli coast and 
the you know question of whether or not the peace process should be restarted with the Palestinians and you know regional ties with Arab neighbours. He's effectively offering a degree of continuity with uh, with Netanyahu. Great. So his biggest perk then, as we've said, is that he is not Benjamin Netanyahu. So how has he emerged as the main challenger in that respect? So Benny Gantz effectively has, has ended up leading the the field uh, for maybe three. Uh, reasons. The first is uh, his own personal credibility and that of, of the people around him. So, as I mentioned, he was the chief of staff between, uh, sorry, of the uh, IDF between 2011 and, and 2015. And he started his own party, the Israel Resilience Party, uh, late last year and was started to poll well against uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud. A couple of months ago, he formally uh, joined a coalition with um, the Yeshatid party under uh, the television personality Yair Lapid, who is deemed to be one of the key sort of centrist challenges to, to Netanyahu, although he wasn't pulling as well as Gantz, so that, that coalition made sense. Uh, and then they've drawn in uh, a couple of other big names, two of whom are ex-generals in Moshe Yalon and uh, Gabi Ashkenazi. And really the, the, the key takeaway from having such a, a sort of military presence amongst the, the top brass in uh, the Blue and White Party is that it defends against Netanyahu's attacks that you know his, his rivals are weak on security, which has been a common theme in his uh, election campaigning, both in, in this contest and previous iterations. So the, so the first thing going for, for Benny Gantz is that he's strong on security and he's got some you know, big names who are either ex-generals or well-respected politicians. Uh, the second thing is that there's no obvious candidate amongst other set, centrist and centre-left parties, and notably uh, Israel's former foreign minister, Zippy Livni, uh, resigned uh, from the uh, Hatnawa party leadership uh, in the course of the last couple of months. And so with her um, departure and with Yair Lapid being integrated into the Blue and White Party, it's effectively really just left Benny Gantz leading this you know, field of, of potential challenges against uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. And there's, there's not really any other recognisable figures who, who can offer the kind of uh, uh, statesmanship, I guess you, you would describe it in, in Gantz's case. Uh, and the, the last thing going for him is that by dint of being that you know, clear challenger, he, he provides um, a figurehead behind which um, a number of Netanyahu's uh, enemies um, on the, the left, for example, that can sort of rally behind in a way that would perhaps have been more problematic if the field had been you know, uh, significantly more divided. And this has given rise to you know, a slightly peculiar situation which was best summed up uh, in a headline on a comment piece by Haaretz a couple of weeks ago which said uh, or described this election in terms of the one where a left-wing Israelis fantasize about being led by ex-generals and uh, I really think that that kind of captures the peculiarities of, of this particular contest insofar as you know people on the left who would never usually vote for a former chief of the IDF to be leader of the country are more than willing to support Benny Gantz because he's really the only feasible alternative to um, Benjamin Netanyahu, as, as I've described, has become something of a, a hate figure in uh, left-wing circles in Israel and overseas. Great. So we have Benny Gantz versus Benjamin Netanyahu going to the polls on 9th of April. So in your estimation, who's going to win? Who will emerge as Israel's next prime minister? What's going to happen? Um, it, it really is too close to call, but I guess I'd define sort of three scenarios. The first is that 
Benny Gantz wins the greatest number of seats, as the polling indicates, but that he fails to form the next government. Uh, and this is because even if uh, Blue and White Party uh, succeeds in um, you know, getting a greater number of seats than Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily in a better position to form the next government. Benjamin Netanyahu can rely on support, in particular from um, right-wing parties and the orthodox religious parties, uh, and as he does at the moment. And so his routes to getting the 60 plus one seats required to form a Knesset majority is substantially easier than the task facing Benny Gantz. So the, 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 really, the first scenario is that you know Gantz effectively wins the election, but loses the war in the sense that he, he's unable to form a coalition. So what we see there is just the degree of policy continuity, but then complicated in the medium term by the prospect of Netanyahu's indictment. The second scenario is similar to the first in that, Bet- that Benny Gantz gets um, the greatest number of seats uh, with the Blue and White Party in the Knesset, but that he does manage to somehow form a, a coalition. And as I say, the the main stumbling block for him there is that a lot of the support that he's attracting from the centre and left is detracting, therefore, from the, the seats that traditional centre and left parties like Meretz and Labour can realistically expect to get in the Knesset. And this may well lead him in a position where he has to choose between forming a, a feasible coalition with the support of Arab Israeli parties who have never previously been in government in Israel or um, effectively allowing Benjamin Netanyahu to go on and, and form the next government. And I think that it's that choice which was presented just over 10 years ago to uh, Zippy Livni, who I mentioned before, uh, when she was uh, running for, for prime minister, when she failed in that instance to invite Arab parties into government, that was controversial in the sense that it meant that it allowed the rise of um, a right-wing government. But in this case, it's obviously all the more controversial because Gantz's entire platform has been on opposing Benjamin Netanyahu. So if at the last he refuses to form a coalition with Arab parties and allows Bibi to govern, well, then that really raises the question of, you know, how... uh, you know, the, the way in which Arab parties and obviously Arab Israelis are perceived in Israel if, you know, inviting them into government is deemed to be a greater, a greater problem than allowing a man who's in the process of being indicted on, on you know, corruption and bribery charges to, to, um, to go ahead and, and, and run the country. So um, to, to sum that up, I mean, that, that's really the, the reasons why Gantz's chance of forming a coalition is, is really quite a complicated prospect. But as I say, it does remain a possibility if the polling uh, that we currently see is sustained and blue and white party do well and you know come the the elections on april the 9th i think the the last scenario would be a unity government between Likud and Blue and White, which isn't uh, impossible, um, not least because Benjamin Netanyahu is is not necessarily the most popular figure, even within his own party, and that's because he's effectively used Likud as a vehicle for his own personality. So even his other ministers in government don't get much of a role in campaigning. So if the choice to, for Likud uh, and Blue and White was either that, you know, effectively there's, you know, weeks or months of wrangling over potential coalitions or they form a government together but without Netanyahu I think the temptation for Likud would be to dispose of Netanyahu who obviously is going to become a problematic figure in the coming months due to his um, impending corruption charges and you know uh, seek to to govern um, together so th- those are the, the the three real options there I know that that probably sounds very complicated but either a Gantz victory in a Netanyahu government a Gantz victory in a Gantz government or a unity government between Likud and, and Blue and White. 
Great. So three different scenarios to look to um, over the next week or so. So in your estimation, are there any kind of trigger points or indicators that would switch the likelihood towards one of those scenarios or another? Uh, as I said, at the moment, it's probably too difficult to call. But as uh, I'm sure some of our listeners are aware, over the course of the last couple of days, um, we've seen exchanges of rocket fire and airstrikes uh, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, and also there was uh, US President uh, Trump's uh, proclamation that uh, the Golan Heights will be recognised as a part of Israel. And obviously that's a contested region that isn't internationally recognised as being a constituent part of Israel. And really this, both of these things potentially play into the hands of, of Benjamin Netanyahu, as I say, who's made a, a, a real uh, boon of you know, flare-ups intention with Gaza in the past to demonstrate that he's the man to, to secure Israel's borders in a forceful fashion, and also that he has built a a constructive relationship with the White House, of the Trump White House specifically, that's you know bearing fruit for Israeli national security. So, you know, depending on how the you know the, the events in Gaza play out over the next couple of days and the reaction to the the Golan announcement, then that could be enough to to bolster Bibi's support and maybe give him you know give Likud. Uh, enough of a boost to be the largest party come April the 9th. And, you know, that would tip the balance towards him forming the next government. Okay, great. So with all of these different things to keep in mind, what should businesses prepare for? So we have Netanyahu's indictment, we have or impending indictment. We have different negotiations going on to form coalition governments, regulation, diplomacy issues. What should we look forward to in the next couple of months? So I think the, uh, you know, as we've alluded to, the, the biggest issue is if Benjamin Netanyahu does form the next government, well then, what happens when his indictment appears on the horizon, which is obviously likely to be uh, within the next few months? So I, I think that what I, I would do, perhaps uh, unfavourably, is to compare it a little bit with, with Brexit, in that what we would expect to see is all of government and media bandwidth being taken up with the issue of um, the indictment itself, which Netanyahu is set to fight, and as a consequence, we just see you know policy stagnation uh, across the board, really. Uh, and we might get a degree of that, uh, in any case, on a reduced level um, due to coalition negotiations, which, as I alluded to a moment ago, have a number of complicating factors. So we might see a little bit of uncertainty in markets over the course of uh, the next couple of months if it takes a while to form the next government, and if the next government is formed, then you know what's the reaction to Netanyahu's indictment going to be? I think in terms of regulation, we might expect to see some changes if Gantz does form the next government because he's, uh, he'll be keen to reassert the rule of law where it seemed to be problematised by uh, Netanyahu's government currently, so specifically uh, in the media and you know the relationship between political parties and the media. So we might see a greater degree of regulatory scrutiny being introduced. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, probably the, the key area in which there is you know clear uh, blue water between Netanyahu and Gantz is on um, socially liberal issues. So Gantz has, has made a play for left-wing votes by committing to improving conditions for LGBT communities, uh, enabling adoption, for example, enabling civil marriage, and then also liberalising business conditions on Shabbat, uh, the uh, Jewish Sabbath, uh, which are currently um, quite restrictive, both in the term, terms of the provision of government services and um, what business is allowed to do uh, on that day. So we might see you know, a greater degree of freedom afforded to businesses in that sense. But then, you know, touching on wider diplomatic issues, both parties are effectively committed to forming or developing um, growing relations with Arab neighbours. And as part of that, we're likely to see support for Gantz and uh, sorry, support from Gantz and Netanyahu for continued exploration of 
the Leviathan gas field, which is just off the coast of, of Israel and is relatively newly discovered. And lastly, just to, to wrap up, we, we probably expect to see protests and demonstrations as ever in Tel Aviv, potentially among Arab communities as well, as various issues arise during the course of the, the negotiations over who will form the next government. So, for example, if Benjamin Netanyahu does look to succeed, uh, or does look successful rather, in uh, on April the 9th, then, you know, anti-BB protests in Tel Aviv seem, uh, you know, fairly likely. Um, similarly, if Gantz refuses to form a government, including Arab parties, and gives up the opportunity to govern for that reason, then we'd expect to see you know, a degree of protest in major urban centres like Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, but particularly in northern areas of Israel where there's a large Arab population. Uh, and similarly, if, uh, as I mentioned before, that the exchanges with Gaza that we've seen over the last couple of days, if that you know, escalates with increasing casualties... Uh, on the Palestinian side, then Palestinian activism uh, and uh, you know related activity could spike in the run-up to the election itself. Great. So a lot to be looking out for, but it sounds in some that we're going to have a lot of uncertainty in government and governing parties over the next couple of weeks and months, but overall a continuity in policy. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I would. I, um, you know, But obviously I stand to be corrected by the course of events as ever. Great. Well, great. Thank you so much, Phil. Uh, For all of our listeners, as always, please do let us know any feedback or questions that you may have about the podcast. We can be reached at info at sibyline.co.uk. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And we hope you have found this podcast useful. If you'd like to learn more about our services, or if you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch at info at sibyline.co.uk. 